Well, if you've been tracking with us um, at all since Easter, we are, we're just barreling through the book of Ephesians. And as a pastor who has a ton of ideas and a pastor that loves to read and think, this has been one of the coolest disciplines ever because I can't think of how many sermon series I have started that we've not seen through because I want to go to the next thing. We're going to finish Ephesians. If you agree, say amen. I'm, I love it. But you know why I love it? Here's why I love it. Because that next passage is always going to be there next week. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, it's good when the preacher don't have to think so hard what to preach the next week. <laughs> and so part of this journey of going through a book together in the Bible, in the New Testament, a little letter, six chapters called Ephesians, is as a community, we are really trying to ask the Holy Spirit to imprint the message of this word upon our hearts and then allow its content and the person that it points us to, Jesus, to form us into a new kind of people. Did you know that's why we read the Bible and study the scriptures every week? To be formed into a new kind of people. Not just a people who have a bunch of head knowledge, but a people who learn to think, to experience, and then live in light of who they are in Jesus Christ. That's why we gather around the scriptures every week and we posture ourselves to be students of Jesus. Did you know you're not a disciple of Chad? You're not a disciple even of Cornerstone Church. If you have chosen through repentance and faith to place your trust in Jesus, you are the disciple of Jesus. You're a lifelong learner of him. And not just, you're not, don't think classroom is just pews and whiteboards and neat, tidy rows. Did you know all of life is one perpetual class in session on learning how to live in light of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who you are in Jesus, and what Jesus has promised to do? That is our curriculum, life. Jesus is at the center. He's the prototype. He shows us how to be human. He shows us how to live, how to love, how to serve, how to be transformed. And that's our desire every, why do we do this every week? Because did you know that all of us are perpetually being formed by messages, by media, by news, by branding, by um, marketing? How many know you are always an object of formation, whether you know it or not? And so when the, when the scattered body that goes to work Monday through Friday or Saturday, that lives all over the five cities and Santa Maria and Napomo and wherever else, Lompoc, that when the scattered people gather on a Sunday, we come together, we seek to realign and reorient our lives around that which is only worthy to truly form us, and that is Jesus Christ himself. So gathering on Sunday is sort of this treasonous act. It's a way to say no to all the other voices, the impeding influences, the yippity-yappity of the enemy and of the flesh and of culture, and we say no, we choose to be formed in Jesus instead. That's why we gather. You think, man, you just gather because we got a bunch of pews. No, we gather as an act of counter-formation to be formed in what is truly life and what is truly love, and his name is Jesus. That the head is in heaven, Jesus Christ is the head, but he's got a body on earth. Someone say, he's got a body, and I'm in that body. That he's doing his thing through on the earth. Amen. None of that was in the notes, so it took up time, but I had to go there as the pastor, so um, thank you for, for going down that trail with me. Well, if you're with us, we are in chapter two of Ephesians, so crack open your Bible or your smartphone or your app. If you need an app, um, I... 
grew up when I was 16 years old, and I started reading my Bible an hour a day. That only lasted for a day. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it lasted for a couple months or years, but anyhow. Uh, but I, I started out with a physical Bible, so if you need a physical Bible, take the one in, in your back seat, in the, whatever that thing is called, the pew seat. Um, but I have transitioned because I always like to journal and write and to rip my thoughts and scripture, and I like to just always be ready to respond to what the Spirit is saying through his word. So I now do all of my devotions and stuff on an app. I'm not saying that's the Lord. I'm just saying that's what I do. So Version, if you're taking notes, is an amazing Bible app. What I use is a thing called Tecarta, T-E-C-A-R-T-A. You can listen to it, T-E-C-A-R-T-A. It's an amazing Bible app I do devotions and journal on. And also, there is Olive Tree is an amazing uh, online app resource for those of you who are on Android. I'm sorry. I think it's on Android, but certainly on iOS. Where are my iOS people? Who doesn't know what iOS is? Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> way to, way to uh, categorize, your, categorize your audience there, Pastor Chad. And all of the message today is about inclusion, so I'm blowing it at the beginning here. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse... 11. In verse 1 through 10, a five-second synopsis is Paul, the apostle who was a missionary who had an encounter with Jesus, helped establish a church that exploded in this little region in modern-day Turkey called Ephesus in the first century. And as a result of this explosion, this vibrant church rose up in the midst of pagan culture. And so this missionary, this church planter, this guy called Paul, he's writing 20 some odd years later to this church that's been established in Jesus, and he's reminding them of who they were before Jesus and who they are now in Jesus and who he's calling them to become through Jesus. And in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, he's done one thing really well from four angles, the sinfulness of man and the sheer, utter, unbelievable nature of God's grace. And that collision, everyone say collision. <laughs> grace wins every time. That's good news. That's all of the first 10 verses. So we're gonna dive in starting with verse 11. The sinfulness of man and the grace and goodness of God revealed in Jesus. Therefore, in light of what I just shared, verse 11, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, welcome to church, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember, everyone say remember. It's a really important word for the first 10 minutes of the message. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And everyone said, dump, dump, dump. The Apostle Paul is telling the church in Ephesus that is made up, first of all, the Jewish people, God's chosen peculiar people from way back in Genesis chapter 12 onward, and then Jesus being the, Jesus, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. There were the Jewish people, and then the rest of the world, and the, 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 the big fancy Bible word for that is Gentiles. So there is the Jewish people, everyone say Jewish people, and then the rest of the world. And so what's happening when the gospel is going forth is that the gospel is good news to both Jewish people and the world. And so what Paul, right here at the beginning, he's acknowledging the complexity that the gospel has created a totally new paradigm in which humanity relates to each other and to God. Yeah. 
Are you tracking with me? And so what he's telling the church in Ephesus, he's saying, remember what your life was like when you were an outsider. Man, if Chad Jordan was preaching, he would have a need to breathe clip of outsiders from the need to breathe. Amen? Am I right? Probably. Remember, he's saying, remember what it was like before Jesus. And just let's sit on that for 30 seconds. Remember your life before Jesus. What was it like? Have you ever been considered an outsider? Have you ever been a byproduct or a victim of an us versus them mentality? Just shake your head at me. Have you ever experienced that at school or at work or in your neighborhood or your network? Oh, that's them. They're not like us. Raise your hand if you've experienced that kind of dichotomy, that, that the experience. What did you feel? Just help me. Give me one word. Cast out alone. Separated. What else? Isolated. Inadequate. Good. Not valued. Good word. Worthless. The Apostle Paul's reminding the Gentiles. Remember what it was like when you were an outsider. And Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, this posture of remembrance will prove to be a safeguard so that you won't turn around and have that same us versus them mentality with those who are trying to get in on what God's doing through Jesus. He's saying, don't live with a big cloud of guilt and, oh, we're outsiders and we just feel guilty. For No, no, no. He's saying, but allow the remembrance of who you were before Jesus, what it was like to be excluded from citizenship in God's family so that you can take that same humble, mercy-filled, compassionate view to those around you who are still suffering from the us versus them mentality. So when God zeroed in on Abraham, He promised to form a people in Genesis 12. And when he did that, God, in his own wisdom and sovereignty, made a clear line in the sand. There are my people, Israel, and then there are the nations and the world. Now, Israel's vocation was always to live out of the covenant with God, to be blessed through their obedience and their adherence to his wisdom and his ways. And out of that blessing, they were meant to mediate God's peace and prosperity and presence to the nations. So you have to understand this biblical theology one-on-one. He didn't choose Israel at the expense of the world. He chose Israel for the world to be the instrument for its blessing. And so what's happening here is this. Now, why did he choose Israel? Because they were special or they were numerous or they were big, strong, huge, amazing nation? Contrary. Deuteronomy 7 says this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were numerous more than other people, for you are the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord, read it with me, loved you, and he kept the oath he swore to your ancestors when he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so what Deuteronomy, what Moses is doing writing this, he's saying, do not get arrogant the fact that you've been chosen by God. He didn't choose you because of anything in your natural man. He chose you because he loved you, and it was his plan. Someone say his plan. Therefore, the rich history of God working to call and save and shape a people for himself from the exodus from Egypt, the giving of the law, the establishing of the covenants, including circumcision. We'll get to that in a second. 
the building of the tabernacle and ultimately the temple and the establishment of the priesthood and all of the sacrificial systems, two-thirds of your Bible to the left of the New Testament, even the giving of the promised land, this is the story of God saving a people for his purposes to be manifest on the earth. This is the story of the Bible. But where did this leave the nations? This is what Paul's getting at here in this book of Ephesians. What about those who were not ethnic Israel, born on the right side of the tracks into the right covenantal family? Well, Paul says, dude, don't, don't ever forget in verse 12, you were separate. This is what your life was like before Jesus. You were separate. Everyone say separate. You were excluded. Say excluded. Look at this. Without hope and without God. That's like a four zinger. Paul's being very clear. Do not remember what it was like to be excluded from what God was doing on the earth. Now, why is it important to remember who we were before Jesus now that we are in Jesus? How many need to be constantly reminded about who life is all about? Raise your hand. How many need to be reminded that the good news is not just good news for you and your little life, but it's good news for all of those who are, especially who are far from God? And Paul is doing that centrally to the church. He's pegging them between the eyes, penetrating their hearts. He's saying, guys, that angst, wallowing in the darkness of your sin, being blinded to what God was about through Israel, being not even included in what God was doing in his covenant promises to establish the people for his blessing and purposes on the earth. Remember what it was like when you burned with jealousy and you longed to be included in something that you could never get to on your own. Remember what it was like. And then he says, but don't stop just in remembrance. And Pastor Ron, one of my spiritual fathers, always used to want to do a series, I don't think he ever did it, called The Great Butts of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, he could get away with that. He was the best. He was funny, goofy. He could get away with that. But this next verse is one of the greatest butts of the Bible. B-U-T-S. Okay. Wow, here we go. But now. Come on, someone help me out. Help me preach this morning. But now. One more time. But now, in King Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know how to, I can't put it in strong enough terms. All I could have known was, uh, one of my most lonely times for me was high school. I was goofy, I was figuring out who I was. I was kind of involved in some partying stuff, and then my sister tattled told, and I gave all my life to Jesus, because it was either go to Jesus or go to, I don't know, <laughs> or just be grounded forever. <laughs> Great parenting 101, discipline your kids into the kingdom. Anyway, cut that from the tape. But. The loneliest time for me for school was always before the bell rang at 8 o'clock. Why? Because there, in high school, is just the worst. It's, it gets a little bit like watered down as we get to be adults, but not really. Anyone remember in high school, like, that's the jocks, that circle. They all hung out. There's the cool kids. They're, you know what I'm saying? Just nod your head at me. And I, I, it was the loneliest time. Everyone knew me. I was really well-liked and all this thing, but I didn't belong. Someone say belong. I didn't belong in any of the circles. My knee blew out, partly because my dad prayed it would because basketball was my God, and he wanted God to be my God and not something else. 
And I'm like, Dad, reverse the prayer. God is my God. All right, anyway. Because, listen, I was like loosely affiliated with all of them. I could hang out with them. But I was so lonely. I was excluded. I didn't belong in any circle. And I would hate it. I would show up at school. And I remember you, I would hear about their camping trip. You know, the little jocks who were kind of nerds but jockey nerds. And they would go out fishing, and I would overhear stories of their fishing trip, and I just would long, man, I wish I would be included in that family, that team. I wish I could be in that crew. Infinitely more, like how cool would it have been if they're like, hey, Chad, you want to go on the fishing trip with us? Times that by infinity through the blood of Jesus in the circle of God himself, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in on God's family, God's covenant, God's promise and blessing and peace, Jesus goes out of the circle and he says, I want you in on what I am doing and who I am. Infinitely more. Super weak analogy, you know, high school circle to what God has done in Christ. But work with me, people. You only got my life. You got your life. I got mine. In King Jesus, you, listen, you were excluded, hopeless, helpless without God. You were in utter darkness. And the gods that you claimed were gods were just sticks and stones. They were stupid. They had eyes but didn't see, mouths but couldn't speak, ears but couldn't hear, hands but couldn't feel. Psalm 115, the futility of idolatry. But in your futility, in your darkness, in your bondage, God in Christ has come to you and he says, get in on what I'm doing on the earth through my blood. Now, what is this all about? It's Mother's Day. Why are we talking about blood? Unless you're talking medium rare steak from Jocko's. Come on, someone preach the steak gospel from, from uh, Jocko's. Anybody? Is it Swiss? You guys like Swiss better? All right, where are my Swiss people? Raise your hands. Let's just put this. To, to, where are my Jocko's people? Raise your hands. Praise God. Where are my hitching post people? Raise your hand. Where is my homemade steak? No one can do what I do on the grill. Raise your hand. I'm coming over later tonight. You hear me? So how does the blood, what is this blood language? Well, here's a crash course on an entire book of the Bible called Leviticus. Are you ready? In one-liners. The basic temple sacrificial ceremonial system. God is holy and separate from sinners. Everyone say check. And I'll move fast. We sin and... Sin makes us and the space we occupy unclean and deserving of death or punishment. Check. An animal sacrifice, not because God was a bully, but an animal would serve as a substitute for the sin and the sinner. Check. The sin would be transferred onto the animal and the sinner could then approach God without being zapped. And that is a technical Hebrew turn. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) I learned it somewhere. The sin would be transferred. Come on, how many are thankful for the substitute of Jesus? We were sinful. We had no right to approach God in our own righteousness. We broke one law. We broke all of them, James 2 tells us. But the, the blood of Jesus on the cross provides this substitute in the space that we occupied, our own lives, our families, our neighborhoods, networks, workplaces, and world was unclean because we were on that space. But the blood of Jesus provides cosmic peace over all of creation, Colossians 1, 19, 20, and personal peace by those who put their trust in Jesus. God in Christ 
has rescued us from our faraway state in utter darkness, and he's brought us near through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And this whole system, cleansing and justice, you get it, I just said it. The blood provided a means of peace for covenant relationship to be possible. So God is not this bloody, messy he was a God who said, you know what? Relationship with you knuckleheads is going to be harder than I had thought or I hoped. So someone's going to have to pay. How many know the life for life principle? You give your life so that someone else can go free. That's why we love the Avenger movies. That's why I love Black Panther. Just got to watch it. Shameless plug. Love the Avengers. Love those movies. They're cool. Because all of the stories are just tweaking on the gospel story. The hero's got to lay down their life so that the people can go free. Did you know they're riffing off the ultimate story, the story of the good news of the gospel? <laughs> Amen. The blood provided peace. Everyone say peace. Paul goes on in verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has destroyed the true groups, Jews and Gentiles. And he's destroyed the barrier. Someone say barrier. The dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now, a little bit of history. In the temple in Jerusalem, the time of Jesus, there was literally a wall that said, no Gentiles allowed. If you enter, punishable by death. Come on, how many know that it's easy for the insiders to forget that they're not insiders at the expense of those who are outside. They are meant to live a kind of life that draws outsiders into who they are in light of who the God they're in covenant with. But how many know it's not all, none of us are immune to turning our insiderness to become a barrier and a buffer from those we don't want to be around. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching today. This is what happened in the time of Jesus in the temple system. Gentiles know further, punishable by death. And what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, that wall, that literal wall of hostility, did you know that, that, that at the time Gentiles, they despised the Jewish people and the Jewish people, one of the, the central formational prayers of a Jewish man was thank you that I'm not a Gentile, that I am a man and that I'm not a woman, but that I'm one of your sons. That, that, that was one of their daily prayers, that I'm not a Gentile. But in Jesus, that dividing wall, come on, someone. Imagine every day you're, you're, you're someone who didn't, you had no choice where you, what family you were born in. No choice. And you'd approach that wall. You wanted to follow the God of Israel, but there was no way through the outer court. There was no way in. You had no access. You were without hope, without God. You didn't get any control over it, but the God of Israel, you were drawn to him because of his wisdom and his goodness and his he was a good creator and he's provided food and crop for your village, but every year you'd approach and you'd, you'd, there would be this barrier. You couldn't get in on what God was really about in the Holy of Holies, his presence, the place of his dwelling. And what Paul is telling us here is that the literal wall and the perpetual spiritual wall that has separated humanity from each other and from God has been broken through by Jesus Christ. The social, religious, cultural, and spiritual separation has been overcome through the gospel of King Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Someone say, God did. 
by sending his own son in the likeness and sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin. Aren't you glad he didn't condemn the sinner? He condemned sin so that the sinner could be set free. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we all said, amen. The law could only point us to the way. It could not transform us to embody the way. Only grace and only Jesus could do that. The law pointed us to righteous requirements, but the gospel transforms us and makes us the very righteousness of God in Christ. Verse 15, going on. Jesus' purpose was to create in himself, in light of the good news of the gospel, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Wow. The cross was supposed to be an act of violence, rejection, and shame pitted against Jesus. He was mocked, he was slandered, his beard was plucked, he was wounded, he was pierced, he was, this cross was an instrument of vengeance, an instrument where rebels and common criminals would hang in shame, naked, before bypassing crowds, as if to say, choose to be an enemy of the state and look at your fate. This cross, this gruesome instrument of death, Jesus takes this vengeance, this murder, this prejudice, this hatred, sin cycle that has been spinning since the time of Adam and Eve's sin, and especially through Cain and all of his siblings. Jesus takes all of this hatred and he recycles it and he takes it upon himself and he mediates the peace, the forgiveness, and the blessing of God instead. The cross is the ultimate place where Jesus, though he was on trial, it is sin that is condemned and judged by taking it upon himself. Jesus said sin, violence, murder, hatred, the cycle of perpetual recycled revenge and hatred is stopping in and through me. In Christ, God is literally remaking humanity from the ground up. He's bringing peace, someone say peace, that at the cross, the outsiders, the Gentile world, and the insiders, the Jewish people, are now reconciled to Jesus. In other words, the road that leads to the family of God now goes straight through Jesus Christ. There's no more social, religious, or ethnic barriers. Sure, we still create some of them, but from God's perspective, they have been overcome in and through Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus do this? How did he put to death hostility? By using force? By using anger? by bringing peace the way every other empire tries to establish peace, which is to overpower you with my power, more power, for my own benefit. No, Jesus does this by emptying himself, by becoming poor, by dying, and by laying down his life for his enemies so that the story of vengeance and hatred and prejudice and racism and us versus them mentality would be overcome through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This passage will not allow us just to keep it in the spiritual, ethereal, oh, that's nice, the two becoming one. This is one of the most relevant passages we need to hear in our day. If you agree, say amen. amen. We have never been more divided and get out of your partisan or whatever, all, all of these lines. I'm not saying it's so, I'm, I'm just saying, as Christ followers, we submit to the scriptures and Jesus is saying, what I have done on the cross will not allow you to erect a billion bunch of them and the, in Christ, God is remaking humanity from the ground up. In himself, in Jesus. This is not whimsical, hippie, everyone's in. No, you're in through Jesus Christ period. The blood of Jesus. One of the cultural lies of the myth of progress, and humans will just figure it out by being smart, is that many of us want the kingdom without a king. But how many know the king comes with the kingdom? It doesn't come other ways. Oh, be, just be cool. Accept me. Be, ease up, dude. Don't talk about righteousness. You can't separate king and kingdom. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you can't separate king and kingdom. There is no utopian society apart from God or we would have already found it. The only thing we know how to do is to mess it up and bend it in on ourselves. But God in Christ is offering us a new way forward, a way through his cross, a way where we lay down the barriers, the insecurities, the prejudices, where we lay those down and we receive peace with God and we say peace with each other. So the question is, for Paul's day, it was very clear. Jew, Gentile. Most of us don't talk in that language. Just nod your head at me. But who are the us and who are the M in our culture? Think about it. If you are the us, then who is your them? Come on, let's get real. The passage, I'm just preaching. The, I have to, it's the Bible. I can't skip this part. If you are your us, then who is your them? And what does this passage challenge you with in your family? Maybe there's an us versus them. Maybe we don't talk to the crazy uncle. Come on, how many have a crazy uncle? <laughs> I'm the only one. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you. I definitely, <laughs> I do not doubt that, Sven. One doubt. No doubt. Listen. If you are your us, then who is your them? And how is this passage confronting you right now? How is it tweaking with your mind? Gosh, if the barrier's been destroyed between, I was, remember who you were before Jesus, you were outside. What? God, what does that mean for my crazy uncle? Or your workplace, or your neighborhood, or our city? Who is the them? And what does the gospel today, not just 2,000 years ago in a city that's now under rubble, what is the gospel and the relevancy of this message of radical reconciliation and restoration through Jesus and the barriers between us and them being destroyed and overcome and the peace of God reigning in our lives and through our lives? Who is the them that we need to be reconciled to today? Come on, somebody. The church is to be the literal, not the ethereal, spiritual, we just talk big. We are to be the literal, physical manifestation of a radically reconciled community of believers, where when people would come in here, the preacher wouldn't even have to preach that hard. Just by looking at the hodgepodge motley crew that gathers around Jesus, the world would say, something is crazy in these people. Because why would that person hang out with that person? Why at the communion table, when we celebrate the body and the blood, why are they sharing from the same table? 
Did you know the church is to be the, the message of the gospel is meant to be embodied through a people in a locality so that the world who comes in, they don't see signs that say this far and no further. They see signs like the sign of the cross where every barrier has been broken through and you're welcome at the feet of Jesus because I, like you, need a savior. I, like you, was far helpless and hopeless without God in the world, but God in Christ has come to me and he's made a new way to be human possible through his grace and his love. This is a good word today. What are the us versus them? Where, where does that, where do we need to see breakthrough of that in our city and our thinking and in our church, in my own life? Let's make it personal. Paul tells us, remember, remembering who you were and what you were before Jesus proves and provides a safeguard to keep you humble so that you will not erect barriers that grace has already broken through. That's good preaching. Thank you, Daddy. He came and preached peace to you. I already said it. You who are far away. Come on, someone say, I was far away. And peace to those who are near. Jesus' peace is available to every person in this room, in your family, in this city, in the world. The peace of Jesus knows no bounds. Most of us and most of the, you know, the, the spinoffs and agendas and cultural wars is trying to get at a place of peace and unity. But how many know Paul already told us peace is a person. His name is Jesus. You can't have it without Jesus. And this is the scandal and the offense of the gospel. How many know we don't have to be offensive individuals? The gospel's already offensive in us. We can just be ravished by the good news of the gospel, be the most radically hospitable, loving, generous, self-emptying, serving mentality people. So that even though the gospel's offensive, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. By seeing a people who are ravished by the gospel, the offense is receivable because they see grace at work in a people. I think that made sense. It made sense in my heart. In Jesus and Paul's day, the, the, the ruling empire, the, the number one slogan of the Roman Empire was Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the peace of Rome. It was this slogan, this political jargon, this baloney. Because the only way Rome knew how to establish peace in a new region was to get in line, submit to the throne, or we will crush you under our conquering heel. It was peace by snuffing out opposition. But how many know that the peace that Jesus offers us is on the heels of a Savior who hangs bloody and beaten, taking your sin and my sin upon himself as his own, and he says, peace. Not by conquering, and but by laying his life down and saying, how can you resist one who loves you so perfectly like I do? Paul is riffing off of the cultural lies of his own culture by preaching Jesus didn't bring peace the way Rome and the one on the fake puppet throne does. Jesus brings peace by becoming an offering so that sin and death would no longer reign in your life, in your family, in your city, or in your region. Jesus' peace is on the heels of self-emptying sacrificial love, the cross. For through Jesus... We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Come on, how many know it is only through Jesus Christ that any of this is possible? Turn to your neighbor, say, it's only Jesus. Come on, it's only Jesus. 
It is only Jesus. We have access to God who is not just some distant God. How many know the first thing Holy Spirit does when you believe in Jesus, he cries out, Abba. He cries out, Dad, to the Father. Did you know that God is your Father if you are in Jesus? Did you know that God is your Father and that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings you into that relationship when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? In summary, man, we're almost done. This is awesome. You can beat the buffet lines. (laughs) You were dead. You were bound. This is all of chapter 2 in summary. Three sentences. You were dead, bound, influenced by the principalities and powers. You were an object of God's wrath because of your sinfulness. But you have been saved by grace through faith because of the riches of God's mercy and love. You've been raised up and restored to son and daughtership. You've been seated at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ the Son. That now all that God is doing in the world, he is doing through his church. He's the head. You and I are the body. We've been saved from sin to do good work as the new manner of our lifestyle. The authority that Adam lost in the garden because of his sinfulness, the image that was marred and destroyed and, 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 and um, polluted because of his sin, his vocation to be a son in relationship with the God, the Father, partnering with him to fulfill his purpose on the earth, the relationship that was fractured and fragmented between he and hu- fellow human and he and God, all of those things Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 have been restored in and through Jesus Christ. The hostility, the hatred, the animosity between cultural, ethnic, cult covenant lines have been broken through by the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, I want not just a people, I want all nations, tribes, languages, tongues to be restored to me through the cross. That's just what we believe. This is just the gospel. And then the last three verses, and we're done. Consequently, in light of all of that argument, just read this with me out loud. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In other words, you nations, you Gentiles, you're not partially in. No, 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 no. You are full-fledged citizens. You don't replace Israel. Israel is enlarged to now include the nations through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not just citizens of a country. You are members of a household. Come on, how many know it's one thing to say this country This place called the kingdom of God, God is my father, Jesus is my big brother, and the Holy Spirit is the power, the source, the comforter, the guide, the one who gives the gifts and the fruits and leads me to become like Jesus increasingly. It's one thing to be in the country. Come on, how many know it's a different thing to be in the family? (laughs) And the gospel not only brings you in on what God is up to in the world, it brings you right into family, right into the place of being a son and a daughter of God. You take Jesus out of the equation, it don't work. 
We will not get at this hodgepodge utopian, just deal with me and I deal with you. How many know the only thing that got dealt with was through a Jewish Messiah named Jesus Christ, the king of the world, where all of our animosity, prejudice, racism, hatred, sin, murder, violence, vengeance, and every other bad, ugly, icky, dark sin effect was at a single point dealt with in and through Jesus. The only way forward, and God is remaking the world. We already preached it six weeks ago in Ephesians 1. That God is renewing the world through Jesus Christ and through Jesus's body. So this is not just a theory today. This isn't just a nice sermon or a nice talk. This, these, are, these are our marching orders. Cornerstone Church, are you going to rise up and be the radically reconciled body where there are no, the, the barriers have been overcome in this place and that this is a place for any to discover their unique, amazing place with God, within God's family? Will we be the radically reconciled people or will we barrier? Oh, that's them. I don't want them. Huh? Come on, we do it all the time. I do it. God's helping me. How many know that we wouldn't have to try that hard to be clever out there if together we would begin to walk in radical reconciliation. If together we would begin to say, you know what, those barriers have been overcome. I'm not gonna lift something up that Christ has already torn down. You've been reconciled to God through Jesus and the power of the Spirit. And then he ends, amazing metaphor. This is the coolest. In him, the whole building, Jew and Gentile, is joined together, you see that? And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The temple in Jerusalem, this is N.T. Wright, way smarter than me, was not only the religious heart of the nation, it was the place of pilgrimage of Jews throughout the world. It was the political, social, musical, cultural heart of Jerusalem, as well as the place of celebration and feasting. Come on, someone say feasting. The reason for all of this, of course, was that Israel's God promised to be there. It was the place that everyone believed that heaven and earth met and overlapped. So you gotta see what Paul is doing here. The gathered body of believers is now in Christ, the place heaven and earth overlaps. It's not a building. He doesn't live in buildings. As you know, this is just a building. It's a beautiful building. I love the building. But you and I are the building. The Holy Spirit is building together that he can dwell in by his spirit. Guys, Paul is saying nothing short, you can go read your own commentaries, that the God's people that Jesus is forming and remaking and restoring through his grace are to be the temple people, the heaven overlapping and invading earth people. This is like our normal, this is like if we had a business card as Christ followers, it would be, I'm a temple person. The heaven and earth is to overlap through the radical reconciliation that I've experienced with God and I'm experiencing with my brother, even those that don't look like me, think like me, but that in Jesus, God is remaking humanity from the ground up. And what is he doing? He's building restored humanity to become a place that he dwells. Come on, this is good. He's remaking and restoring. He's building a people to become the place that heaven invades the earth. This is the temple. Only once a year, and only one dude with ropes around his leg in case he forgot to kill the right animal procedure so his sin would be covered. How many know we have one who's entered the holy of holies on our behalf, who was sinless and perfect, so that that big old veil between sinful humans and a holy God has been broken through so that now all of us by the Spirit can have access to God 24 and 7. 
I like it. Not anymore. There you go. Punchline. Woo. Last verse in him, you're being built together. And I close literally to be a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's as if the building is like breathing and organic. It's more like a tree and a building. Because how many know we are always a work in progress? How many need to progress in some of the things we talked about today? Come on, am I the only one? I'm not the only, I don't think I'm the only one. But God says this, he says, if you will trust the builder, I will build something that will shock you because my grace has a way to shock and to transform and to heal and to make new. We gotta give ourselves not to just what Jesus has done for me, but what Jesus has done for we. That's all our passage was about, the whole passage, 11 verses. The first 10 verses are me and Jesus, these last 11. They won't let us just stay me and Jesus. Come on, someone say, I'm not gonna just stay with me and he. It's gotta flow out into he in us. That's how the gospel works. It shapes a people, not just a person, but a people. Now, a person's included in a people, but how many know individualism has all but killed us because the message, we've had to work it up, but the message was always meant to be embodied. It was just our lifestyle together that when the world would see it, they'd go, what are you guys eating? Steak from Jocko's, obviously. So what are the, these are the last questions. What are the barriers that, of this being true of us Write it down, grab your smartphone. What are the barriers? What are these things between the us's and the them's? In our own thinking, in our own lifestyle, who are the them? Where are the walls at so that we can go have a sledgehammer party <laughs> in the spirit? Amen. Where do we hold the other at arm's distance and length? There's an amazing video on YouTube that circulated, and obviously if I was a good preacher, I would have had the clip. I'm gonna go find it, and I will email it out. I'll send a link. You got my word, it's gonna happen. It's so powerful. But it shows people from nations at war. Anyone just stop me if you've seen it, and they have to sit and just look at each other for three minutes without saying a word. Anyone seen it? Help me. No one's seen it. Okay, it was super, I think it's not that popular at all. But when they looked at each other in the eyes, I'm going to send the link and all of us will cry at like 4 p.m. this afternoon after we've taken our Mother's Day nap. The point is, how many know if we would drop our arms and got close enough to see the brokenness of the humanity in front of us, we might just have a little bit of gospel compassion rise up. And instead of them being an enemy, we might actually consider them a fellow friend. And if the passage we just unpacked means anything, it means that God and Christ sat down opposite us. And even though he had every right to lob accusation, condemnation, guilt, he looked at us and he said, peace. (laughs) I've already overcome all the barriers All of the, you were in my enemy, you hated me, you didn't want my leadership, you wanted your own leadership, your own world without me. But he sits at our table, his arms were outstretched, and he just says across the table to every person in this room, peace, peace, peace. 
In him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit.